Hello and welcome to another episode of the Growth Podcast. I am your host, Matt Pilotti, and today it's going to be just me. I'm talking about one specific topic, and it's going to be about how to build a product that acquires users. So I've helped build and launch a bunch of different products, not only at Drift, but at companies like HubSpot and a few other startups. And so I've seen some of the things that work really well for user acquisition and some of the things that don't work well, in addition to a lot of the role models that we look at here on the Drift Growth Team. So to jump right in, I just want to call out a bunch of the role models that we look at and think about relatively often. And I'll use them in the examples of like the five core things that I believe contribute to a product that is built to acquire users. And so those role models being, there's a couple obvious ones in here. You got Dropbox, Zoom, Evernote, And then I think Google Analytics is sometimes overshadowed by other tools, but they are really, really built in an acquisition type format. The tool Notion and Superhuman. And for those of you who have been listening to my podcast for a while, you know how excited I was to talk about the Superhuman onboarding and acquisition experience because the whole thing is just spectacular. So the five things that these companies do really well is that they have clear market alignment They have found the channels that work really well for them. They have great acquisition flows, and I'll explain more of what I mean by that. They have viral loops built into product, and they have a remarkable product. And this is not to say that any tool that is built to acquire users must have all five of these, but it's more to say that some of the best ones out there really nail three or four of these, and that is the thing that feeds the product for more and more acquisition. So let's go one by one down the list. We got market alignment. So at a really high level, and this one, you basically have, this is like a must have, your product acquisition strategy has to be aligned around your market type or things will not work, right? If a tool like Medallia, which is enterprise grade customer satisfaction platform, If they were trying to build their acquisition strategy in the same way that a consumer app would, it wouldn't quite work, right? Because the way that a consumer market works for acquisition is very, very different than an enterprise market. And so you have to think about who are you solving for with your product and think about the types of strategies and other role models that exist in that market that do a really, really good job acquiring users and then figure out what works there and then apply that to your own business. But like I said, if you're or if you're a consumer app, you can't necessarily take what an enterprise level company does, right? You can't be sending $25 swag packages to every single consumer app user. I mean, maybe someone will do it someday, but that's going to cost you a lot of money. So a couple of examples of tools that do this really well. Superhuman. If you want to know more about that, you can listen to my other podcast on it. They just nail everything. Everything about it is perfect in the way they acquire users. And Dropbox is another good example for this because if you just go straight to dropbox.com, the page is optimized for you as a user to go ahead and sign up, right? But if you go to dropbox.com slash business, it is a fundamentally different type of acquisition flow, right? They have it built around a trial. So try it free for 30 days or purchase now. Whereas the core homepage and the core user, it's just sign up for free, start hosting your files. And the acquisition flows that then build upon that free version, acquire both business users and free users, but the 
way that those messages and the value props are aligned between the two different markets is clearly distinct and really helps them get acquisition in those different buckets. Okay, the next is acquisition flows, which is kind of related to that Dropbox example that I just had. Uh, Getting somebody to show up or click a link isn't enough. And the best acquisition flows consider the entire product experience to start with the marketing website. What do I mean by that, right? Oftentimes, products that are really good and they're really built for acquisition, the product teams focus mainly on what they have control over, which is the point at which somebody gets into the app and starts using the product, right? And so that experience is fantastic, but then there's this misalignment with the marketing team or whoever owns the marketing website that the marketing website experience is different than the product experience, or maybe you have a viral loop that gets people to sign up once they use the product, but then it sends them to the marketing website and then hopes that they sign up there. The best tools have the context in which someone is signing up in the first place. So for example, what we do at Drift is if somebody clicks on the chat widget in the bottom corner of a website and it says chat powered by Drift or chat bolt emoji by Drift, when they click on that, they don't just go to the Drift homepage. They go to a page that specifically says, hey, want the experience that you just saw on blank.com, right? So we give them this perfectly correlated experience with where they came from that knows what website they come from and the type of thing that they care about, right? And so then they're there and they see it and then they go sign up and then this expectation continues through the product. And so it's important to think if you're trying to build your product around acquisition strategy, either the product team or the growth team or whoever's in charge of that needs to think about this from a holistic point of view, not just starting at the product once they're in the app, but the point in which you're getting their email or whatever it is to sign up in the first place, because it has to start there and the best tools start there. Dropbox is another really good example. If let's say I am already a user of Dropbox. If I want to share a file with you, I send you the file and then you get this really nice email that says, hey, Mapalati shared this file with you. Click here to view the file. And then you click there and then you get brought to this next page that reiterates Mapalati wants to share this file with you. And it's the file name. Sign in to view this file, right? And the whole thing is contextual as to where you were coming from in the first place. All right, number three, viral loops. This one's a given. Anyone who's thinking about product acquisition in a non-enterprise space is generally already thinking about this kind of thing. Some of the best examples around virality are Zoom because in order to host a meeting, you need to send the link to someone else to get them to join your meeting. So there's some products that have this inherent core virality to them where the only way that the value prop is fulfilled is if a non-user is interacting with the product. And then you have other examples. Drift is one where it is not core to the use case that someone signs up for or downloads the tool, right? They use the tool because they're interacting with it via the chat widget, but then it is a slightly more passive experience to then go click to sign up to make your own account. So if you're thinking about viral loops, you got to think about them from those two perspectives. Do you have something already built into the product that is core to the value prop that you can capitalize on? Because those are some of the best viral loops without question. Or is there some way to get passive signups from a an app experience or a product experience that someone who is a non-user might have with your product? All right, number four, channels that work. So 
what this means is there are a few different types of channels that you can build a product around. One would be distribution channels like the App Store or the Web Store, somewhere where you build an app for a device or system and then you put it out there and then people can use it. Communication systems like email or messaging, right? Think about the email tracking tools that say at the bottom of email that this email was sent via whatever. Then there are developer tools, platforms like Zapier or open APIs that you might build, right? People can build on top of those channels and that channel is a thing that acquires users for you, right? APIs are owned by the product. So building those out is a product-based thing. And then you have other platforms and ecosystems. So examples of these might be Slack or Salesforce, right? You are building something that is tailor-made for a platform. And this matters because it's different than building a mobile app for the App Store or an extension for Chrome, because with those, someone downloads something and then you have this like purely detached experience from the rest of apps, right? You download an app on your phone, it can have its own set of experiences. And sure, it'll have some native design patterns. But something like building a tool on top of Slack or Salesforce is your Slack app might have a very different manifestation of the core workflows when it exists in Slack or when it exists in Salesforce. And so some of the really great tools that get high distribution build their apps to be the best in class WordPress plugin or Salesforce developer app or Slack integration. And then those platforms are the thing that drive all those signups. And so another just example here that's a bit more of a famous one is Evernote. One of the things that is attributed to their early success was they were one of the first apps on the App Store on iPhones. And so being one of the first people into that ecosystem really gave them this massive advantage. So it's important not just to think about where should we consider building our product as a value add to a specific platform or via APIs or whatever it might be, but also to think about what is an upcoming platform that we can capitalize on that is not that well-known yet, but can give us really great rewards later, right? I think about the people that started making podcasts seven, eight years ago. They have this huge advantage of a crazy backlog of all these episodes they've recorded. They have these libraries and they've really built their skill and their art around creating podcasts. Those people have a huge advantage on the podcast apps out there because they were those early movers and they were able to figure out how to capitalize on that system early on. Uh, and another example that I had mentioned way earlier when I talked about role models is Google Analytics. So if you set up a website on something like Squarespace or on other tools, maybe GoDaddy has a similar thing, you'll see that there's a section in the settings somewhere that says like Google Analytics, put in your Google Analytics code here. And so there are two ways to approach this here. One, and I don't know what the right answer is and how they started, but one, they either could have reached out to all these platforms and said, hey, we have this system and we'd like to make it really, really easy for your customers to get this value add. So that way is through partnerships. And the other way is that you grow organically or for some way really early on that then you get this leverage where people say, 
oh, this is such a clear value add that we want our customers to have. So let's build this into our own platform. Right. I would imagine that probably some of the early Google Analytics, like put the code here thing, uh, were through some partnerships. But today, I think it's a given in some ways that app developers or product developers would put that in there as a highly requested feature. And then the last main thing that I want to cover is a remarkable product. And what this is to say is that something that is world class makes people notice. And it is a way to stand out that gets you word of mouth and this inherent brand and social love that drives more and more product acquisition. And it has to start with the product. A couple of examples of this are Superhuman, which again, I've talked about enough, so I'm not going to cover too much there. But Notion, I have never personally used Notion, but everyone who I have talked to in my space that has come across Notion tells me about it, right? Because they tell me that it's so perfect, it works really well, it's built differently, and it just feels right. And so if you think that you can have this advantage in either design or product thinking or the ability to double down and get workflows perfect, then do that because those things can lead to this love that people will have for your product because it just works so much better than everything else. So you wind up getting people that get set up with it, and then they go on their podcast and tell you all about Superhuman. Right, I fell into that myself. And then a couple of just random additional tips. Something that works today for acquisition might not work forever from a product perspective. So you need to be thinking about what are the new channels? What are the changes that we might have to make to drive more acquisition flows? Or maybe one of the viral loops is drying up or the users are starting to become less likely to convert or use the product, right? So it's important to stay up to date on all those. Play to your strengths, like figure out what works really well and then A-B test and experiment on top of those. And don't try to do all five of those things at once, right? Pick one and have your team aligned around that one thing. And that is mostly it. So steps from here, if you wanna like go run with this, one, think about who your role models are from a product acquisition standpoint and see what they do and try to find ones that work in your market. Then the five strategies to think about are having market alignment, what size company are you going for, what type of user, all that. Um, find the channels that work, build great acquisition flows that start with the website. Um, so stay aligned with the marketing team on that. Um, figure out if you can build viral loops in or are there inherent viral loops that you could capitalize on. And the last is building a remarkable product can result in some really great outcomes. So that's all I got for this episode. If you have any feedback, questions, anything like that, feel free to send me a note. My email is mattatrift.com. And if you're a fan, I would absolutely love some five-star reviews in the store. Would really, really appreciate that. Or however you feel is appropriate to rate this. I hope that it's five stars. Then that would be great. And if you have other ideas for topics or whatever it might be, again, feel free to reach out. And thank you so much for listening. I know sometimes I could babble on, but I really appreciate that you tune in and some of you make it through to the ends of these episodes. All right, I'll catch you on the next one. Thanks. Thanks.